Well, good evening. Good to see everybody again. Um, really good to be back. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like summer if I don't get to speak at First Evan. You know, there, there's a, a, I've had a tradition, you know, Jeff Finley, when he was here, he would bring me in and we would do series and whatnot. And so I'm glad that Seth got sick. Yeah, he called me uh, or sent me a text um, Friday night and said, uh, man, you got any good material on hell? And I said, oh, man, I'm so glad you're finally thinking about coming to the Lord. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I got some great material. Excellent. But uh, he, um, he told me he was sick and asked if I could fill in for him. And then I accused him of chickening out. Because when, when he told me he was going to be doing this series, I said, man, that is a, that's a tough topic. I mean, all the way around. It's not, you know, because hell is difficult on the best of days. Because, you know, when you really see what the scriptures teach on this topic... It's not something that you can make jokes about. I mean, it is, it is horrifying. It is terrifying. And so um, tonight, we're just going to kind of jump into it. I told him it's also good. I'm going to get you in a lot of trouble. And then you can spend however many more weeks you want to do trying to get out of it. Um, if you will, open up to Matthew chapter 13 tonight. Let me tell you where I want to go. When I started thinking about this, I was thinking of a bunch of different ways we could kind of head this out. And, and tonight, I'm going to kind of take a, a larger overview of some specific things related to the doctrine of hell, uh, because a, a lot of my teaching centers around, for the lack of a better word, what I call spiritual formation, uh, discipleship and spiritual formation. That is, what is the process that we're going through to transform us into people who look like Jesus? That's what we're about right now in this present age. It's... It's a transformation that is equipping us to rule and reign with him in the kingdom when it comes, right? Amen? I know at First Evan we know that. There's a lot of churches that ain't got that figured out, right? But I know y'all know that, that our main goal is we come and we study and we preach and we teach and we fellowship together. We do that in perspective of the coming kingdom. Right now, what we're in the middle of, you know, this life is not all you got. This is just the boot camp that's preparing you for the real life to come. And so when I think about hell, I think about it in that perspective. And tonight I'm going to deal with this issue of what type of person winds up in hell. Because you can't talk about hell in the abstract. Hell, as Jesus teach, is a real place that people that you and I know right now today are going to wind up in. So what type of person winds up in hell? Because I don't know about y'all, but I, I have known very few people in my life that when I ask them what their plan is for life, very few of them have said, you know, I'm really working very hard to make it to hell. <laughs> Nobody tries to go to hell in the abstract. But there's a lot of people that are headed that direction, maybe not even known to themselves. And so for me, dealing with this question of what kind of person winds up in hell uh, gets us in, into a lot of different uh, key topics that I know Seth is going to unpack over the next several weeks as he goes through this doctrine. So Matthew 13. Matthew 13, Jesus himself is in the middle of his parables. He has just started teaching his parables on the kingdom. And there's a parable in Matthew 13 that you're probably very familiar with. And it's a great parable because not only does he tell the parable, but he gives us the uh, interpretation of the parable. Verse 24 is where I am. He says, now he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. And while his men were sleeping, 
his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, uh, the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, uh, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And he ends that parable, and then he tells the parable of the mustard seed. Y'all are uh, familiar with that parable. If you look on down to verse 36, after the crowds go away, the disciples come to him and they ask him to explain it. And that's what you have in Matthew 13, 36. The crowds have gone. Uh, the disciples came to him and they said, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. Notice they don't ask for the parable of the mustard seed. They, they probably get that one, but they don't understand this weeds of the field. And when Jesus gives the interpretation of it, I don't know that they would have gotten everything that he was talking about here. Verse 37, so he, he gives his interpretation. Very interesting. Now listen to this. He said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom, and the weeds are the sons of the evil one. Uh, you, could also, you, you could think of the sons there as the children, the children of the kingdom and the children of the evil one. Verse 39, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. And just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all that causes sin and all those who commit lawlessness or practice lawlessness. And throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Now he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now that's tough. Right? I mean that is, boy, when Jesus interprets that parable, I don't know that I would have put all those things together. Would you have put it together the way he spells it out there? Uh, and I want you to know, as we, as we begin here, uh, as you've probably heard before, Jesus teaches more on hell than anybody else in the New Testament. In fact, it's, it's really odd if you go do a, a word search on the words that are translated as hell in our modern translation. And by the way, let me say this even as I'm starting. Tonight I'm going to use the term hell, and I'm just using that term as a catch-all. There's actually many different terms for this concept, for this topic in the New Testament. Uh, the term that Jesus uses here for hell is the term Gehenna. And I'll talk about that in just a second. The term Hades is also used uh, of hell. Uh, Peter uses the term Tartarus, taken out of Greek background. Um, the book of Revelation talks about Hades and so forth. And I'm sure Seth is going to uh, take all those and, and go through many of those passages with you. But I just want you to know tonight, when I use the term hell, I'm talking generally about the place of torment for the unrighteous. And if you're really up on your Bible, you know that even now, what we call hell, Hades, 
the place of the wicked dead, in the end, it's going to be plucked up and thrown into the lake of fire, as we find out in Revelation. So, so ultimately, in a very ultimate sense, we're ultimately talking about the lake of fire, if we want to be specific, uh, the fires of hell. And so we see this, this imagery here of, of burning. Notice uh, Jesus refers to it uh, as the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, he refers to it that, as that in several passages. Uh, Jesus also, uh, in several other places, he brings up this issue of hell as a place that you would want to avoid. Gehenna, a place you would want to avoid at all costs. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the members of your body than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Gehenna. Uh, Gehenna, if, if you remember your Old Testament history, Gehenna in the time of Jesus was the name that was given to the Valley of Hinnom. And if you remember your history going back from the time that Solomon became king, and then if you remember the kingdom of Israel was divided in two after Solomon's reign, and there were many kings who came that were unrighteous and wicked, that brought idolatry and worship of all kind of foreign faults, absolutely corrupt gods. And one of the gods that was worshipped uh, during some of the later kings was a, was a god named Molech. And the way you worship Molech is they had a large bronze altar that they would light a fire in and under and get that bronze altar red hot. And then you would sacrifice your firstborn children in the fiery arms of Molech the fire god, that valley became so cursed. Uh, after those days of idolatry, the only thing it could be used for is a trash heap where outside of Jerusalem they would take trash, they would take dead bodies, they would take whatever was absolutely useless anymore and they would throw it in Gehenna. And people who saw Gehenna in the first century said that the fire never went out there. There was always something burning. Uh, there was one, there stories of... Uh, Dogs, you know, uh, dogs in the first century, they're not the cute house pets as we think of them today, that everybody gets better, you know. Dogs were something that were just on the verge of human society. And uh, there were stories of, of dogs coming from the trash heap with uh, human body parts gnawing on them in their, <laughs> in their jaws as they'd picked up from the trash heap. Gehenna was the place where nothing good happens. It's always burning. It's a place of utter destruction. And that's the number one word that Jesus uses for this place of a fiery hell because people in Jerusalem would have known exactly what he's talking about. You're going to end up in a place that's just like Gehenna where the fire is never quenched and the worm never dies, uh, he says in one passage. So Jesus himself uh, is the one in the New Testament who begins... Uh, our doctrine of hell. He's the one that establishes the doctrine of hell. Then, again, really interestingly, if, if you look throughout the rest of the New Testament, there are very few writers who actually talk about the place hell, but they describe it. Paul, in his letters, describes what Jesus would refer to as hell, what the book of Revelation would refer to as hell. But he doesn't use Gehenna or Hades or any of those terms, but he does describe the effects of it. I'm going to talk a little bit about that uh, here in just a second. Uh, so, uh, very, very fascinating study, and I'm sure uh, Seth is going to work through all of those things with you. Let me just say this. Um, right now, uh, Seth did give me the definition that he's going to use for hell, and I think it's a great place to start, 
because we're going to talk about several of these things in the next couple of minutes here. Uh, Seth is defining hell as a place of eternal conscious torment separated from the felt presence of God and his grace. I think it's a really good definition. Let me read it one more time. Hell is a place of eternal conscious torment separated from the felt presence of God and his grace. Now, if you've been keeping up with where things are in the church culturally, you'll know that this doctrine and this topic of hell is also a very controversial topic in our days. Uh, Most people don't like to speak on it. They don't like to teach on it. And many times those who do uh, wind up, I think, giving an unbiblical view of what the scripture actually says about hell. Uh, Hell has largely been neglected. There are many people that I know that flat out negate hell. There's no such thing as hell. Everybody's going to kind of be saved in the end. They take this universalist view. Uh, A lot of you may be familiar with a guy named Rob Bell. He wrote a book several years back called Love Wins, and it basically negates the idea of hell, that everybody in the end is somehow going to be redeemed. And although I think that's great, uh, that's a great idea. In one sense, I kind of wish it were true, at least for the people I know, you know. But on another level, we think, well, we don't want Hitler in heaven, do you? Do you? You don't want Stalin in heaven, do you? You don't want rapists and murderers in heaven, do you? Right? So, so there's a sense in which, yeah, we've kind of got a place where there's some people we might go. But again, in America, most people don't think they're headed there. A, a survey done in 2002 uh, showed that 64% of Americans at that time believed that there was a place called hell. Less than 1% believed that they were going there. Now, I don't know about y'all, but we know that that percentage is, in actuality, a lot higher. There are far more people going there than actually realize it. And, and, and so, a lot of things to factor into this very, very difficult topic. Another thing that Jesus teaches about hell, and I find this very fascinating, is um, in his parable of the sheep and the goats, he makes this statement where he is... Um, Uh, passing judgment on those who have not lived up to his standard. And I'll say more about that in a second, I think. But uh, he he says, depart from me, all of you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. One of the things that we think about when we think of hell and this fire and this burning is that it was first and foremost prepared for the devil and his angels. That's what it was made for. But I want you to think about something. In the parable that we just read of the sower, right? those who are, going to be, who are going to wind up in this place of fiery torment, Jesus says that they were in reality those weeds that sprouted up in the kingdom. You remember who he said they were? They were the children of the devil. They were planted in the kingdom by the devil. Boy, I mean, I don't know if y'all paid attention to this, but Jesus really doesn't care who he offends. He doesn't care who he makes mad. He doesn't care who walks away from him while he's preaching. Right? And if people can't handle what he's saying, he doesn't go run after them and try to get them back. Why? Because if you don't love the truth, you're not going to love Jesus. If you don't love righteousness, you're not going to love Jesus. And never, Jesus never backs down from the horrific nature of these things that he's talking about. Because he knows this. 
If somebody doesn't warn these people, they're going to wind up there. And when you're there, I guarantee you would do anything you could to try to get out of there. So I'm trying to save you before that comes, before that happens, right? We, we know that that's why he is so specific about the things that he teaches here. And that's why he's warning his disciples. That's why he's warning the crowds about this judgment to come. Very, very difficult topic, but Jesus doesn't shrink away from it. So, so tonight, I, I want to I deal with this. Uh, I want to deal with this issue of who is going to wind up in hell? What sort of person uh, winds up in hell? And let me just say, um, in 2002, I, I got a book by a writer named Dallas Willard. I don't know if you're familiar with Dallas Willard. He wrote a book called Renovation of the Heart. And in my thinking, in the last 20 years, there has not been another book that I've read that has been more uh, catalytic uh, for my own thinking. And what I mean by that is, uh, I have literally read that book, underlined it, dog-eared pages, because Willard touches on so many things related to uh, how we become the people that we're going to become. It's, it's all about spiritual formation, spiritual transformation. And even though the book is ultimately about how we're being, we're being transformed to be like Christ, he has a section on it where he talks about hell that is one of the most terrifying descriptions of hell that I think I've ever read in my entire life because he comes at it from this angle that I'm going to come at tonight. What turns you into the type of person where the only place that you fit is hell, right? And, and, and let me just kind of give you my conclusion for what hell is, and then I'll kind of back that up with some scripture. Hell is the place for those who have become completely useless to Jesus and his kingdom. Hell is the place for those who have become completely useless to Jesus and his kingdom. I was uh, teaching a class at, a, at another church last year, and uh, one of the ladies in the class had, had really wrestled with her salvation. She had been baptized very young and had not had a, you know, a, a come-to-Jesus experience, you know, that, that kind of thing. And she, we, she was talking about that in class one day, and she was worried about it and da-da-da. And we, we kind of got past that, you know, talked about Jesus and faith. And, you know, I, I could, you know she was a believer and those type of things. And uh, in that, she asked, me, um, she asked me several questions. But uh, one of the questions she asked, she, she asked, um, Stacy, do you think there's a lot of people that are going to hell uh, in the church <laughs> that don't know it? I said, well, I think, yeah, probably so. But I said, to me, the scarier thing is this. There are a lot of people in church that may not be going to hell, but on the same token, they're definitely not preparing for the kingdom. They're definitely not living in a way that's preparing them to be the type of people that Jesus needs them to be for the kingdom. They're not taking that seriously. We, we, we've left that out of the church. You kind of get saved, and then you come and you go through the motions. At least some people think. You go through the motions, you attend, you tithe, you give your money, and then hopefully it'll all kind of come together. And then there's a lot more to it than that. Uh, she came back the next week. She said, I've honestly not slept for six days since you said that. She said, that literally scared the hell out of me. <laughs> Hope you understand what I mean when I say that. I said, I know exactly what you mean when I say that. I went through a very similar experience. She said, I've just never thought. I've just never thought about preparing for the kingdom. And so here, as I talk about these things fairly quickly tonight, in the end, the, the net result of this, people who wind up in hell 
are people who have become completely useless to Jesus and his kingdom. First thing, uh, hell is the proper place for those who choose self-worship over worshiping the one true God. Uh, This becomes a failure of love. Uh, this, This becomes a failure where we wind up loving the wrong thing. And generally, when we're loving the wrong thing, we're loving ourselves more than we're loving the one true God. That's the first failure. In fact, that's one of the things that Jesus really has to get his disciples over. Do you love me more than you love yourself? If I could paraphrase a lot of Jesus' teaching. Because if you love, love yourself, or you love your mama, or you love your daddy, or you love your kids more than me, what does he say? You can't be my disciple. I have to be first. I have to be foremost. And if you don't talk about a controversial teaching, I mean, that's pretty controversial. Really? i got to love Jesus more than everything else? Yes. Jesus, can I have a pass on that? No. Absolutely not. And let me tell you why you can't. Because I am the source of all that is good and true and beautiful. Why would you not want to love me above everything else? Right? So the first thing is a failure of love. It's loving the wrong thing. And usually it's loving ourselves. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, great British writer, um, said hell is God's great compliment to the reality of human freedom and the dignity of human choice. <laughs> In other words, God has created hell because he's given humanity the dignity of freedom and choice. All right? Now, do you follow that? Do you follow that? In other words, God is so bent on giving us what we desire that even if we desire not to be in his presence for all eternity, he'll make sure we get there. That's a terrifying idea. Absolutely terrifying, right? Uh, Paul touches on this uh, in Romans 2, 5 uh, through 11. I'm just going to read this. Y- y'all will know the context. Paul is, is leveling the playing field in this section of Romans, showing why everybody, whether, whether Jew or barbarian or just a common person, how we're all, we stand before God condemned as sinners because of what Adam's done and because of what we've done as well. But in Romans 2, 5 through 11, he, he talks about this, uh, the reality of, in a sense, the judgment to come and what God is going to do in judgment. And he says in Romans 2, 5, he, God, will render to each one according to his works those who by patience in well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give them eternal life. But, now listen to this, but for those who are self-seeking, self-seeking, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. And so there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For God shows no partiality. When we're transformed by Jesus, he transforms us into people where we begin to pursue glory and honor and peace. We first, to, we first begin to pursue the glory of God, not our glory. Right? And I think Paul develops that a little bit later. But, but the person that gets into real trouble here are those who are self-focused self-interested. You can get so wrapped up in yourself, you can forget about everything else. 
to the detriment of everybody else around you and even yourself. Great, I give you a great example of this. You'll experience it tonight. Just drive down Poplar Avenue. Drive anywhere in Memphis at any given point in the day. And everybody you're on the road with is absolutely convinced they're the only person there. And whatever else is going on around me has nothing to do with me. I can do whatever I want to. I, y'all, there, there, there's a new rule that's happened in Memphis. I don't know when this has happened. You can drive in any lane you want to without any consequence. I don't, I don't know when they change that. Right? But apparently they have. That's happened to me like five times this week. Right? It's not that they've changed the rule. It's people are so lost in their own self-centeredness that they can't see anything else. That is a danger. Jesus warns us about it. Paul warns us about it. Peter warns about it. The book of Revelation warns about it. Dallas Willard, in his book, says something about this, and I think this is absolutely um, spot on. He says, no one chooses in the abstract to go to hell or even to be the kind of person who belongs there. But their orientation towards self leads them to become the kind of person for whom away from God is the only place for which they are suited. It is a place they would, in the end, choose for themselves rather than come to humble themselves before God and and accept who He is. Whether or not God's will is infinitely flexible, the human will is not. There are limits beyond which it cannot bend, it cannot turn, it cannot repent. Uh, You may know people like this. I know people like this. That apart from some incredible interventions of God's grace, they have become so set in their rebellion, nothing's going to change their mind. Nothing. And let me just say, that's where we would all be if it weren't for God's grace. And let me say, that's a big, big exclamation mark here. That's where I was at one point, if God hadn't intervened. The scandal of the gospel is not that God sends people to hell. The scandal of the gospel is that God saves us, his enemies, who were bent in our own self-destruction, our own self-delusion, our own self-aggrandizement that we would reject God at every turn had he not intervened through his Holy Spirit and said, nope, I'm not going to let you go any further. I don't know about y'all, but I wake up almost every day praising God for his grace. My wife will tell you, if it hadn't been for that, I'd have been in prison a long time ago. No doubt about it. Or worse, maybe. I don't know. So this this all begins with loving the wrong things, uh, headed in the wrong direction. Uh, A lot of people have talked about that. I think Seth's going to come back uh, on to all all those things again. Um, Tim Keller, uh, quoting uh, J.I. Packer, in a short piece that he wrote on hell that was very good. You, you can actually get it on, online. Uh, I think he calls it the importance of hell. Uh, he says, if the thing you most want is to worship God and the beauty of his holiness, then that is what you'll get. If the thing you most want is to be your own master, then the holiest of, holiness of God will become an agony and the presence of God a terror you will flee forever. Right? That's people who are in hell. People are in hell because they can't bear to let God be God. They can't let him be who he claims to be. Right? I want to be God. And isn't that what Adam and Eve were grasping after from the very beginning? No, God, I don't want you to give me the answers. I want to have knowledge. I want to have power. Right? And we all grasp after that. Jesus calls us, no, 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 no. 
he, he says these crazy things like the, la- the first shall be last and the last will be first, right? In fact, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you must be the servant of all, right? Humility. You've got to take yourself out of the equation and submit to me. You've got to do what I tell you to do. Uh, boy, you talk about con- here's a controversial statement. See if you can fill this in. Jesus says this in John. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You'll do what I tell you. Right? The person who winds up in hell cannot submit to Jesus because they love themselves too much. Right? That's a danger. Let me tell you why that's a danger. I'm in danger of that every day. That's one, that's one of the temptations I myself have to fight every day. I don't know about y'all, but it's constantly before us. I want to be the type of person who submits to Jesus. I want to let Jesus get the glory. I want Jesus to get the credit. I want him to get the honor. That's fine. I don't have to be first. Let him be first, right? It saves us from a multitude of heartache, right? Uh, second thing, hell is the proper place for those. Oh, and let, let, me, let me say this uh, on loving the wrong things. In several of Jesus' statements, when he talks about this fiery torment, he says there, there will be weeping and, you know what he says? Gnashing of teeth. Do you know what gnashing of teeth is? Gnashing of teeth is what an angry dog does. How dare you put me here? Right? It's a place of anger. There will be people in hell that are gnashing their teeth for this reason. Even if you took me out of here, I will still not worship you. Right? That's what hell is. Can you get your mind around that? Can you get your mind around the fact that there will be people who are consigned to hell, that even if you took them out, they would say, I still don't want to be in heaven. It's what I call the people of the third option, especially in our culture. We're always looking for a third option, right? And, and I tell people, there is no third option. Sorry. You're either in or you're out. You're, you're either spiritually alive or you're dead. You're either with Jesus or you're against him. There's no third option. Now, our culture likes to make us think there's a third option. There's no third option. It's a binary universe. There's right, there's wrong. Uh, and Jesus makes it very clear. You're either for me or you're against me, right? And those who become useless to him and his kingdom, this is where they're headed. Second thing, hell is the proper place for those who reject the truth and delight in unrighteousness. In 2 Thessalonians, uh, Paul talks about these types of people. And in fact, he's talking about when this escalates uh, in the end of the age. And he, and he talks about this spirit of lawlessness that's already at work in the world. But in the end, that spirit of lawlessness is going to reach a fever pitch and there's going to be a man that will appear who is the son of lawlessness, the very expression of it. And we know him as the beast, the antichrist, uh, this final great world leader who will lead the whole world in a final rebellion against Jesus and his kingdom. Doesn't go so well for him, but he's going to try it anyway. Uh, And in the middle of all that, uh, Paul is talking about that. And he says that this man will appear this lawless one will appear with all kind of activity from Satan, power, false signs, and wonders. And there will be much wicked deception for those who are perishing. Now listen to this. Because they refuse to love the truth and so to be saved. And so for this reason, God will send on them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that they may be condemned. Now listen to this. Who did not believe the truth, but instead took pleasure in unrighteousness. People who are going to wind up in hell are people who reject the truth. And we all know here that the truth is not an abstract concept. Where, if you're going to find truth, where are you going to find it? Or in whom are you going to find it? Jesus, right? 
Paul says, for the truth is in Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Where does he go from there? And no one comes to the Father except through me. Right? There may be many roads that get you in the direction of heading toward God, but at the end of all those paths is Jesus. And before you can get to the Father, you have somehow got to pass through him. Right? Regardless of what our culture teaches. Jesus is very specific about that. People who don't love the truth, though, Paul puts it together. Listen, they delight in unrighteousness. Again, if you reject the truth, that is the natural outcome. When you reject the truth, all that's left is to delight in unrighteousness because you don't know what's right. You don't know what's wrong. Turn upside down. Maybe headed for hell, don't even know it. Right? So, so people who wind up in hell, they reject the truth. And then finally... And with this, hell is the proper place, again, for those who have become useless to the kingdom of Christ because they've placed their hope in the wrong place, the wrong person, in the wrong direction. They're not really, again, anticipating the kingdom. That parable that I started with, go back and read it. Notice that it's said in the context of the kingdom. This is what the kingdom's like. And there are people in the kingdom that are sown, that are wicked. And one day they're going to be plucked out, thrown into the fire. But there are my people. Right? There, is, there are the sons of God, the children of God, who will shine like righteousness when everything comes together in the end. And that's because we placed our hope in the right place. We placed our hope in the right person, our Lord Jesus. Again, Dallas Willard says this. He says, uh, to be lost means to be out of place, to be omitted. And so Gehenna, the term often used in the New Testament for the place of the lost, may be usefully thought of as the cosmic dump heap for the irretrievably useless. Think think of what it would mean to find out you have become absolutely useless. Something that is lost is something that is nowhere it is supposed to be. And therefore, it is not integrated in the life of the one who belongs and to whom it is lost. You hear that? That's where lost people wind up. Because... They're not headed where they're supposed to be. Paul tells us in Colossians 1, all things were created by, through, and for Jesus. Three very important prepositions. Let me say that again. Everything was created by, through, and for Jesus. Everything belongs to him. He created everything for himself. So people who are not finding their way back to him They're not where they're supposed to be. That's what makes us lost. We we were created by our creator for himself so that we could participate in his life, in his joy, in his power, in his life. And when we choose to reject that, we become lost and we start to place our hope in the wrong things. And by hope, I mean our ultimate expectation that life is going to turn out well and everything's going to come together the way it ought to. Those are the type of people who wind up in hell. There's a... There's a documentary on Netflix right now called Wild, Wild Country. I wouldn't recommend it for a lot of different reasons, uh, unless you've got a real strong heart and stomach and everything else. And basically, this documentary is about the, um, the cult of Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh that came from India in the 80s, and they tried to take over a town in northern Oregon. Did any of y'all remember this? Yeah, this was like national news. Uh, a large section of our government was embroiled in a fight against these people, because they thought it was the unraveling of American society. 
And um, anyway, this this documentary is absolutely fascinating. Uh, I just every one of them, I thought this this can't get any crazier. This can't get any crazier. Oh, it got crazier. It just it got it got crazy on a whole nother level. But in in the end of it, the the main lady who ran this cult uh, was a lady named Ma Anan Sheila, and she was kind of the 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 one who did the Bhagwan's bidding and so forth. And um, uh, man, this woman every time she opened her mouth, I think she was lying or creating a new reality. She's just a piece of work. Had people poisoned, attempted murder, tried to poison a whole town at one point. Incredible! Ah, it's just crazy. But at the very end of this show, they, uh, the interviewer asked her this question about, well, what do you think this says about your life? You know, after you've been through all this, and she went to prison, um, just crazy stuff going on. So they asked her, how do you think all this is going to play out in the big scheme of things? And this is what she said. She says, there is no good and bad. There's no right and wrong, no black or white. Of course, I don't know when I die if I will go to hell or heaven, but it doesn't matter. Wherever I go, I will create my own paradise. That is somebody headed to hell. That is the type of person that is headed to hell. She thinks she is such a god that she can create reality. Even if she's in hell, she can reform it to be what she wants it to be. I remember when she said that, I thought, man, I've got like six sermons right here out of this one thing. Thank you, Jesus. Man, I hope Ma'anan Sheila finds you because she's in trouble, right? Many of these cult members are in trouble. Um, anyway, so as I close out, I'll just say this. You know, we're all in this room, and I hope that we're all people who have come to know Jesus. And we understand that he is the only way that any of us have been rescued from this absolute terror and torment that is going to be hell. And so uh, as, we, as we go through this series, I, I would encourage you to think, of, well, number one, if you're not sure about that, you need to get that figured out. You need to figure out if you're a person, the type of person that's being shaped where the only place for you is hell. I hope that's not true of you. I pray that's not true of you. And if you're not, if you're a follower of Jesus, I, I, would, I would say think about people you know that it looks like they're headed in that direction now. And we need to start praying for those people. Because the only thing that's going to intervene and get them, get them and us to keep our eyes on Jesus and see him as the source of truth and the source of our life and the source of our hope is his work through the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts, which would rebel against him at every turn if we were left to ourselves. And let's pray for one another that we would be worthy of the kingdom. Even if we're not going to hell, we still want to live in a way that's worthy of the kingdom. And that as we pray, we would pray for those who right now, it looks like they're headed in that direction. Because it's a terrifying reality. And Jesus warns us of it. Paul warns us of it. Seth is going to warn us about it in the coming weeks. So uh, thank you for your time. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of Father God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Amen. Thanks a lot, y'all. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Ron.